My name is Wade, uh, and I apologize if while I'm speaking I have to clear my throat or uh, if I just stop talking. I'm recovering from a cold. Um, so we are going to uh, sit under the authority of the Word, the Bible, and one of the things I really love about the Bible is how realistic it, it, it is when it comes to human nature, because what does the Bible present us with? It gives us... Uh, it doesn't give us a simplistic picture of people uh, as if people are one-dimensional characters. The, in the Bible, the bad guys, they often start as good guys. The good guys, they often have a lot of bad in them. And this I find encouraging because the Bible doesn't present us with unreal, unrealistic expectations of what we can and can't be. Because consider your own life. How many of us live as consistently as we should? How many of us have maintained a perfect track record of obedience to God? How many of us are on a constant upward trajectory of moral living and faithfulness to the Lord? We might think, well, the Bible, it gives us pictures of fallen men and women, people that mess up a lot. And this is one of the things I really love about the Bible. It just gives us such a realistic expectation. So who of us has got it all right? Not me, and not you either, perhaps. So what hope is there if, if, if we're presented with this picture of, uh, of men and women that, that make mistakes, that fail? What hope is there for us? Why do we even try? Why do we even try? So as we uh, look back on the at the on 2019 as we move forward to the end of the year, um, let's consider let's consider how things have worked out for us. How has the year been for you? I know that there are some in this congregation that have had really good years, and for some of us, this has been the worst year of our life. And what about our walk with Jesus? Some of us, I know this has been so encouraging to me. Some of us have grown spiritually. We've grown in knowledge and affection for Jesus. We have been awakened by the Holy Spirit. And for others of us, we have regressed. We've taken a step or two or ten back. Our love for Christ has grown cold. We've withdrawn from the things that used to be so so valuable and precious to us. But for whatever reason... We're still here, for whatever reason. We are still here today, this Sunday. We've shown up. So today, as we say goodbye to 2019, I want us to come before God, and I want us to receive from His Word what He has for us. Like I said earlier, it's only the Bible that gives me the authority to speak. So we we really have to believe that this is the Word of God, and He is speaking to us through it. So we're going to be looking at the story of a people who have failed, just like you and I have failed, and yet God shows His faithfulness to them. And I think that God today has something to say to us, wherever we fall on the spectrum, whether we are uh, right at this moment very faithful and obedient to God, or perhaps we are. Uh, we look back and we, we go, I've really messed up, I have failed this year has been more, marked more by failure than by faithfulness. Wherever we are in the spectrum, um, this is, I think God has something to say to us. So my goal this morning is for us to consider how God has been faithful, 
faithful to us in the past year and how the truth, the reality of his faithfulness will empower us to live well and walk in faithfulness as we head into the new year. Um, or to put it another way, I want, us, I want the next few moments to be a time of retrospection, of introspection, and anticipation. I, I, I worked really hard for these uh, three things. Retrospection, introspection, and anticipation. So retrospection, I want us to look back on the past year and how God has worked on our behalf. Introspection, we look at our own lives and we think about whether or not we've given ourselves to God as we should. And finally, anticipation as we look forward to 2020 and how we might follow Jesus wherever he leads us, that we would trust him more, that we would love him more. So our text today is from 1 Samuel 7. And if you've been with IGC for a few years, you might remember that we did a long series on First and Second Samuel and we have actually done this passage before, um, but it's been a while. And I'm going to uh, have a different emphasis than what we, than how we preached in 2015. It was actually Pastor Michael that preached this in 2015. So it's been uh, four years. Um, so before we read the passage, I just want to give a little background because there's a lot that goes into uh, the, the Israelite story and how it leads up to this point in the passage. So I'm going to give us some background and then we'll get into the text. So at the beginning of the book of 1 Samuel... This records the happenings of the final generation of the Israelites that are ruled by the judges. Judges. So you might remember all the other nations, they have kings, they have human rulers, but the people of God are ruled by, uh, they're, they're, they're presided over by, by judges. So the final judge before the Israelites get a king is the judge by the name of Samuel. And prior to today's passage, the Israelites, they've been living in defeat before their enemies, the Philistines. They have, the Philistines have exiled the ark of the presence of God. So this is a huge blow to God's people. And through a number of strange events, and um, coincidentally, there's, or incidentally, there's nothing that the Israelites have done to achieve this. But through a, a number of strange events, the ark of the presence of God has returned to Israel the Israelites, they celebrate the return of the ark, but in their celebration, uh, 70 men die. So the, the, the ark of the presence of God has come to Israel, and people are happy, they're ecstatic. And then what do they do? They look at it wrong, and 70 men die. And they die because the ark is treated as more of a curiosity than as something holy, they celebrated the return of the ark, because, but, but they didn't consider the gravity, what it really meant to have the presence of God among them. So this speaks of the presence of God. The presence of God is more terrifying than anything. If the creator of the universe, the holy, perfect God comes before us, you should be terrified of this because sinful man can't stand before God's presence. So... The, the Israelites, they witness the deaths of their fellow Israelites and they send the ark away because they realize we can't be in the presence of the ark. They send it away to the home of an Israelite named Abinadab. So 20 years pass. So there's a long time that happened, that goes on between um, this incident where the ark is returned to Israel and our passage today. So now we read the text. This is from 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 3 through 14. And this is in your bulletin. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, 
If you are returning to the Lord with your, all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only and he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpah and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered it at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a suckling sucking lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were routed before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and he set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron to Gath, and Israel delivered the territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. This is the word of God. <clears throat> so there are four things I want to point out from in this passage. There are four principles or four, four ideas that I want us to pull from this passage as we go into 2020, things that we can... Uh, consider and remember and absorb into our bones as we go into the next year. So the first is this. The first observation or point I want to pull from our text. Number one, God's activity in our lives is preceded by repentance and worship. God's activity in our lives is preceded by repentance and worship. So I mentioned earlier, there's a long time between the rebellion of Israel and their repentance. And in this time, the the people of Israel, they just disintegrated. The integrity of the people has just dis- dissolved. And over the years, these Israelites, they've, they began worshiping pagan gods. This, this is the Baal and the Ashtaroth that's mentioned in the passage. They adopted the lifestyles of the pagan nation. And verse 3, it tells us that Samuel, he speaks to them after being away from them for a long time. So it's been 20 plus years since Samuel has seen these people in this capacity. So the Israelites, they know that they've done wrong. And once again, they once again, they fear their enemies, the Philistines. So Samuel speaks to them. He says, turn back to God. Turn back to God and turn away from the idols that you worship. So the story tells us that they stop worshiping the idols, they stop serving the idols, and they start serving God. And then Samuel, he intercedes on their behalf. He pours out water as an act of worship. Um, He fasts, and he confesses their sin. And in this, I think we see something, a principle that needs to apply to us. 
They worship God. And the most important thing that we can do at any time, in any circumstance, is to worship God. Why were we created? We were created to worship God. This is our primary purpose. And the Israelites come around to this fact. When we say that your purpose is to worship God, what we mean is that your ultimate purpose is not to have a good career. Your ultimate purpose is not to have financial success. It's not to find a romantic partner. It's not to travel and eat good food. Your primary purpose is not even to be a good person. Your primary purpose is not to raise a good family in a respectable zip code. You were not created for these things. Now, these are all good things, but like all good things, they can become idols. And we have to be honest when it comes to this. Does our safety and our comfort, do our lifestyle preferences take priority over everything else? What takes priority? And I ask this as a fellow middle-class Bay Arian. What do you value? What do your neighbors value? And do you absorb those values just like the Israelites absorbed the values and priorities of the pagan nations? What do you value most? Do you value your freedom? Your options? Do you value your free time? Do you value value your image and your reputation? Do you value an account with enough money in it so that you don't have to trust God for at least 10 years? These are the things that I'm tempted by. These are the idols in my own life, and perhaps they are idols in yours. And when I think about that, what I see is that we are not so unlike the Israelites in this passage. We all have idols, and we all have idols that we need to repent of. We have to turn away from things that pull us from our Father. The first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, what is the chief end of man? You guys remember this? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. This is why you were created. This is why you and I exist, is to worship God. And to worship God means that we treasure Him above everything else. Do our schedules, do our credit card statements and our social circles reflect a love of God? What does your life say about the priority of the Lord in our life? I want us to notice something else in this passage. The Israelites, they don't know for certain that the Philistines will be defeated. Remember, they're still scared. They don't know what's going to happen. And yet they still worship God. And this speaks to us as well. We don't worship God because he gives us something. The only reason you worship God is because he's God. You might think, well, if I serve God, then he will give me a certain type of lifestyle. Maybe he'll give me this person. Maybe he'll give me peace. Maybe he'll relieve me of my anxiety. But if we turn to God because we want him to give us something, we're not worshiping God. We're worshiping whatever it is that we want him to give us. So what is worship? It's to put God before everything else. It's to give ourselves completely to Him. And the most important thing that we can do next year is to worship Him. 
we need to repent of our false gods in our lives and turn to the true God. Will you worship God? Will you resolve to worship God? As we look toward the next 12 months, there's a whole lot that can happen to us, either individually or as a church. Some of us, we might lose our jobs, we might get sick, we might get really sick. Some of us are going to have to watch our loved ones deteriorate, either physically or mentally. Some of us might have the best year of our life. It doesn't always have to be bad. We might have relational and financial success more than we ever imagined. Or what about our church? We might become a more united and focused church. Church. This is what I hope will happen. Or we might become broken up. There might be conflict and misunderstanding. There might be outsiders that try to remove us from our space. We might have to carry each other through deaths and unemployment and depression. If this happens, what are we to do? We are to worship God in every circumstance because that is always the proper response. This is what we were created for. So this is the first thing I see in this passage, that the Israelites worship God. This is their priority. The most important thing we can do as a church next year is to worship God, to give ourselves fully to Him. So the second, po- second thing I, I see in this passage that I want to point out, um, number two, God alone works the victories in our lives. So the threat of the Philistines, it hangs over them, and the Israelites, they tell Samuel to pray on their behalf. Verse 8, they say... Uh, they, the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord for our God for us, the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel prays, God listens to him. The Philistines are thrown into disarray as they attempt to attack the Israelites. They end up being chased far away by the people of God. So God acts on behalf of the Israelites. And why did the Israelites, why did they ask God to pray for them? Because they looked back and they realized, we've experienced the strength of the Philistines before. We know we can't defeat them. And over the years, we've experienced it over and over. We've felt the, 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 how it affects us, how it affects our morale. We know that we can't defend ourselves from them. And God was using this. He said, you have to be humbled before me in order for you to turn to me. And this is how God works in his people. He, he brings them into a place where they recognize their inability to bring about whatever it is they need in their life. God brings us to a place where we realize, I can't do this. God will allow us to suffer failure and defeats. There's an uh, amazing hymn by John Newton, the guy that wrote Amazing Grace. It's, it's entitled, I Asked the Lord That I Might Grow. I Asked the Lord That I Might Grow. And this is... Uh, an incredible hymn. I encourage you to go on YouTube or Spotify. My favorite version of this song is by the band Indelible Grace, whose name we totally stole. Uh, it's called the, I Ask the Lord That I Might Grow. And this, this hymn is about the ways in which we try to grow. We have our own methods of growth and, and trying to prop ourselves up, but this hymn imagines God's response to our, our efforts. And this is the final verse. After this, this uh, the person singing, after they, they have admitted all their ways of trying to grow, all the ways of trying to build themselves up have failed, 
This is how God responds. Tis in this way the Lord replied, I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou may find thy all in me. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee thee free. In other words, what John Newton is saying is that God's primary way of growing us and drawing us closer to him is to show us not how successful we can be, but to show us how futile our efforts are. God allows us to fail. He allows us to despair of our own strength. And when that happens, then we can look to God and say, God, I cannot do this on my own. I need you. You are my only source of joy and strength. Have you ever considered that our times of weakness and failure are a gift to us? Because if we always succeed, if trouble never comes our way, who would you trust? You would trust yourself rather than God. Of course, we are, for a lot of us, we're church people. We might give lip service to God's help, but we wouldn't be wholly dependent on Him if we always got our way. So these times of failure, all these times of things just falling apart, these are a gift to us. As long as we live by our own strength, we'll only experience what our strength can achieve. But if we humble ourselves, if we look to God, then we can experience what God alone can do. So the Israelites, they they ask Samuel to pray on their behalf, and he does so. The Philistines, they're defeated in a way that only God can do. The text tells us that God, there's this loud, thunderous sound. So that's the second thing, that we have to look to God. The, The third thing, we have to remember because we're bound to forget. So the Philistines, they are defeated through no effort on Israel's part. They've done nothing except chase them away after God has done the primary work. Israel is safe, and at least for a time, they can say, God is good, God is faithful. And the text tells us that Samuel, he has a stone erected as a memorial to what God had done. And the stone is called Ebenezer. This is what we just sang in the hymn, Come Thou Fount. This is the Ebenezer stone, which was erected because Samuel, he knew the history of the Israelites. Not just the history of the Israelites, but he knew human nature. The Israelites, they were always forgetting the faithfulness of God. They were always forgetting that God alone is God. If you read through the Old Testament, they forget all the time, generation after generation uh, in fact, if we just read a few chapters into First Samuel, what do they do? They forget again. Again, they turn their back on God. Samuel knows this about God's people, that we forget and we forget and we forget, even after we've been told over and over. I, uh, I, there was um, a little uh, blurb about a, a woman named Marion Stokes on NPR this past week. Um, so, Marion Stokes, she was kind of a quirky person. Um, she died in 2012, and after her death, it was discovered that she, uh, her, her son and um, some relatives, they went into her house, and they found 70,000 VHS and beta tapes. 
70,000. And on each of these tapes was a news broadcast. So from 1979, if you, I don't know how, how many of us are old enough to remember this. I only know this because I've read the history books. But um, the Iran-Contra uh, thing, I, whatever happened. An old person can fill you in on this. Um, in 1979, Marion Stokes started recording the news. on. The, at this point, it was a beta tape. So after that, she recorded news broadcasts every single day. Her home had multiple televisions going on. 24-7, she had multiple recorders simultaneously going, and this was a little bit strange, she, this was an eccentric woman, but this was also an incredibly valuable contribution to American culture, because many of these broadcasts would have otherwise been lost, so how it worked is news stations, they would usually record over their old tapes, or they would just destroy them, because they thought, we, don't, we have no need for these old broadcasts, um, but Marion Stokes, she said, I want to preserve everything that's been happening here in America. So she tried to preserve as many broadcasts as possible because she knew that news had a way of influencing opinion and the way we interpreted history. Because when she was younger, she was a community activist. She wanted future generations to know what had happened in the past. So 70,000 VHS tapes, which are right now in the process of being converted into digital versions so that they can can go online. It's probably going to take years and years for this to happen. But at least we have these old broadcasts because someone realized that if I don't do this, people are going to forget what happened in the past. So thank you, Marion Stokes. And like Marion Stokes, Samuel knew that the Israelites they would otherwise forget. He knew that the Israelites, what, what the Israelites remembered would shape how they thought and acted. And he wanted them to remember what God had done for them on this day. So an Ebenezer was raised up as a monument to God's faithfulness to them. So we don't do this sort of thing now. I don't know how many of you erect memorial stones, but think about the past 12 months, 2019. Where have you been? What have you learned? What are the things that have shaped you for better or for worse? 2019. Now think back to 2018. What happened then? What did God teach you? What about 2013? What about 2000? What did God teach you? Can you remember those things? If you're like me, there's very little that you can remember. But one of our primary tasks as God's people is to remember. Why do we hear the gospel Sunday after Sunday after Sunday? It's because, like David said earlier, we forget. We forget. Why do we need to sing the songs and listen to the prayers week after week, year after year? Because the memory of them would otherwise fade Now, this type of remembrance is not just some sentimental look on what has happened in the past, but this is a deliberate, focused look on what God has done in the past with a purpose. It's a look on the past so that God's people can continue to trust God in the present and so that they can continue to trust God in the future. The Ebenezer Stone was necessary because we forget It's because we need to remember lest we turn away from God. If you forget what God has done for you, chances are that you'll be much more tempted to turn away from God. 
So there are practical things we can do that function as Ebenezer stones. We can journal. Some of you do that. Some of us, we, we share with our brothers and sisters what God has done in our lives. That kind of by speaking God's faithfulness in our lives, that cements in our minds what God has done. Some of us, we can make attending church a priority. So you can hear the word of God and let it do its work in you. These are some practical suggestions. You might have some better ones. Um, But this is what God wants us to do. He wants us to remember. So there are three things we see in this passage. To worship God, that's primarily what we need to do. We need to humble ourselves and trust Him for all things. And finally, we need to remember. So you might say at this point, this is decent stuff. This is a nice story. These are some good strategies for living well in 2020. But there's more to it than just good advice because this text is ultimately about the faithfulness of God to us through the person of Jesus Christ. And this is the final thing I want to share with you in 2019. The final thing I want to point out in this text. The stone is a pointer to the cross of Jesus. You'll notice that Samuel, he sacrifices a lamb as he prays for the Israelites The basis of God listening to his people was the sacrifice. Because there was nothing in them that gave them the right to to approach God. This is why they asked Samuel to pray, because they didn't know how to pray at that point, because they knew there was so much sin in them, they couldn't approach him. They asked Samuel to. But even for this righteous judge, Samuel, there was nothing in him that gave him the right to approach God. And this is why there had to be a sacrifice. Blood had to be spilled because God cannot be approached by sinful man. Man cannot live in the presence of a holy God. And this is why a lamb had to be sacrificed. And the gospel says that like the Israelites, we've also worshipped idols. Like them, we've trusted ourselves rather than trusted God. And God could have let us die. But instead of letting us die, God gave us his son, the Lamb of God, once and for all to be killed in our stead. And his blood was spilled for sinners like you and me. And if we repent, if we turn back to God, we will be saved from something far more awful and terrible than the Philistine army. We'll be saved from the wrath of God, whose judgment we deserve. This is the gospel. This is the gospel, that God has given us a lamb so that we can approach him not in fear, but with boldness, with confidence. And just as the stone was a monument, a reminder of God's faithfulness, so is the cross. When someone asks you, how do you know that God is faithful? You can tell them, he's worked these things in my life. He's given this to me. He's taken away things from me and shown himself to be enough for me. These are all amazing things. You should share them. But what, how do you ultimately know that God is faithful? The cross of Jesus. The cross is the ultimate reminder that God hears our prayers and that he will work on your behalf. The cross is God's ultimate reminder that he is always with us. We are not alone. That he is always working on our behalf. God is always for us. God is always remembering us, even when we forget him. God is always faithful. 
Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What's Paul saying here? How do you know that God will continue to be good to you? The basis of it is this. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. So how can we live well in 2020? By raising up our Ebenezer just like the Israelites. If we lift up the cross of Christ, if we look at it as the ultimate sign of God's faithfulness to us as a people, then we can live faithfully. We can live knowing that we will not be forsaken. If you want to fight temptation, if you want to fight greed, if you want to fight anger or hatred in your hearts, what do you do? We might be able to find some good advice from people. We might be able to get some good strategies. But ultimately, as a Jesus follower, look to the cross of Jesus because this is where God makes his final declaration, the yes and amen, the cross of Christ. How do you know that God will continue to carry you in 2020? The cross of Jesus. God is faithful. God is faithful to work everything for the good of those who love him. God is faithful to forgive us of our sins if we confess. God is faithful to carry us when we have no strength of our own. God is faithful to complete the good work that he began in you. The cross of Jesus is our reminder. The cross of Jesus is our Ebenezer. But more than a reminder, the cross is also where we find the strength to live faithfully. The cross sets the pattern for our life. This word, have you guys uh, heard the word cruciform recently? Cruciform just means in the shape of a cross. We can live a cruciform life because the cross defines and informs everything that we do. From the cross, we learn what it means to die to ourselves. If you want your life to matter for eternity in 2020, you have to die to yourself. You have to die to your preferences. You have to die to your desires. You have to say, the desires and the wishes that I have are not as important as the priorities of God. They're not as important as the preferences of other people. If you want to make a difference in 2020, we have to stop living for ourselves. When we die to ourselves, this is a witness to the world. How is the world going to know that God is worth your life? When you live the way Jesus did, when you die to yourself, when people can look at your life and say, that person is willing to give up that, maybe this God is worth following. That person is willing to lay down this job or this relationship or this amount of money. They're willing to give up their Sunday mornings. They're willing to give up fill in the blank. When people say, if they're willing to do that, maybe this God that they worship Maybe there's something to him. So here we raise our Ebenezer by lifting up the cross of Christ, by letting the cross dictate all that we do as a church, as individuals. God has been faithful to us. God will continue to be faithful to us, no matter what happens, and that is a basis of our faithfulness. 
Will you pray with me? Father God, you are faithful and true. Everything you said has come to pass and will come to pass, God. We can believe your promises because you are a trustworthy God. Other people will fail us. Other people will break their promises, but you never will. I pray that you would remind us of this in times of discouragement and weakness and temptation. I pray that we would remember that you are a faithful God who will never leave us or forsake us, God. So would this shape us? Would this give us strength to move into the next year? We pray this in the name of Jesus, our faithful Redeemer. Amen. Amen.